Hello, MMBC Church family. This is Pastor Spencer here with you today. I'm here alone in the podcast room, and this is the first episode of our Reading Through the New Testament podcast that we are going to start launching here in the new year for 2022. Uh, I hope you're doing well, and I hope you're um, uh, listening to this as you're listening to this for the first time. Perhaps you've picked up a uh, New Testament in a year reading plan that we've made available in the hallways here at the Welcome Centers here at uh, at the church. And um, we're excited to do this as a church. We're going to try to read through the New Testament in one year, January through December of 2022. And the basic plan is to read one chapter every day for five days every week. So like you could read it Monday through Friday, one chapter per day of those five days, um, and do something else for your devotions on the other days, the weekend of Saturday and Sunday, or however you choose to split it up. But the basic idea is is to read five chapters per week for every week of the year um, from January through December, and the goal is to read the whole New Testament um, in one year. And part of that, as you could see maybe on the uh, advertisements that are in the hallway um, and such, is that we also wanted to have a podcast to go alongside uh, this reading plan as we read this together, as we walk through the New Testament and explore uh, the New Testament scriptures together as we're reading through them uh, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, trying to understand and put the Word of God in our hearts, meditating upon it, thinking about it, and um, really trying to uh, to grasp what God is saying to us in the New Testament scriptures. So I'm excited about this, and I hope you are as well. So as you do this, I hope you'll pick up a plan, uh, the New Testament in a year reading plan, as we said, available at the Welcome Centers, or I'm hoping eventually to make it available online as well. Um, Obviously, the first week will begin in the Gospel of Matthew. Um, The first full week is when I'm going to start basing this off of, I think the first Sunday in January is January 2nd. So the week of January 2nd, after that, we will begin reading. Reading um, Matthew chapter one, and then two, and three, and four, and five in that first um, week. And as we think about um, reading through the New Testament, one of the things I, I that came to mind was the basic question of why should I read the Bible anyway? Um, that that's a really good question. And sometimes when we think about um, growing in the Christian life and how we can do that. Um, it's it's kind of an amazing thing that God, one of the most basic things we can do and the most foundational thing for our Christian lives is found in the Word of God. Um, we read that and we, we hear it, and the most important place that we do that is, and the most important occasion to do that, of course, is when we're gathered for corporate worship on the Lord's Day. When we gather together, we hear God's Word read publicly, and we're with other believers, other sinners like us, and we're hearing that gospel read to us from the pages of the New Testament. And additionally, we're hearing it explained to us through the preached word. Additionally, as we have Sunday school or Bible studies or other ways that we we seek to uh, take the scriptures, explain them, help us to understand them, what the Bible means by what it's saying. And those are all valuable opportunities for us to grow in our understanding of what the Bible is, is saying to us. But additionally, in addition to that, um, we believe also God blesses us whenever we read the Bible on our own. And and we believe that um, we have a basic pattern as 
in the whole Bible um, for um, family worship. Um, as we, as if we're parents, we are called upon to train our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We're to have the the scriptures available and to be taught uh, to those who are in our families, to our spouses, um, whether. Um, uh, you know, especially if they're believing spouses, but we're also to pray for and to, to seek the salvation of those if we have an unbelieving spouse, and also of our children or those whom we have an impact with, our friends, our family, whoever that might be. Um, we want to make the Word of God a- as available to them as possible um, to train our children up and also to uh, for our own spiritual nourishment. Individually, we want to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ And the primary way that the Holy Spirit God uses to change us is through his word, through his word. Uh, One of the the texts of scripture that comes to mind is we think about why in the world should I read the Bible? One of the passages of scripture that comes to mind is from uh, 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, beginning at uh, verse uh, 14, where Paul writes uh, to Timothy, And he says this, but as for you, talking to Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All salvation is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. A couple of things that, um, you know, there's, we could meditate upon this, these verses uh, for a while, and many of us have grown up hearing them, and, and they're wonderful uh, verses to teach us about the power and the inspiration and the use of, of the scriptures. But a couple of basic things that we can draw from this, first of all, is that we should read the Bible, first of all, to know God through faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul says, to Timothy, that he's known these scriptures from childhood, the sacred writings, which he says, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. You know, when we go out into the world and we look at creation, we see the trees, we see the sky, we see the clouds, we see uh, all of animal life. Um, We go to uh, the lakes or the rivers and we see below the ground and the waters of the earth and underneath the earth, we, we, we see science and we, um, we look around at the universe and the stars and the moon and the planets. And all of those things are teaching us and, and telling us and shouting to us that there is a God. There is a being who made all of these things. And from that, we could also learn, of course, that he is um, intelligent because when we look at the world and, and the universe and how well-ordered it is, we could tell and see the person, the being, who made all of these things must be very smart. Additionally, we could see that, that he must be very powerful because it, whenever you look at the vastness of the universe and the expanse of the galaxies and also the intricacy of, of our own planet, We see how powerful this being must be to do all of these things. But also we look at creation and we see creation contains violence, sorrow, death, and decay, and sadness. So there's only so much that we could know about God and only so much that we could know of God by simply looking at creation. We couldn't get too far. We could know enough 
to be um, culpable and to know enough to be responsible that we should live in light of that, but there's not enough uh, for us to really know God in a saving way. Creation, the trees, the animal life, as beautiful as it is and as amazing as it is, doesn't tell us how we can be made right with God. Uh, We realize that there's something wrong in the universe and that we are not in harmony with the universe. Not everything is the way it should be. The world is out of sync, out of sorts. And we can tell that. And so, but creation doesn't tell us how things can be put right. That's why we have to have God, the creator, tell us himself through a special revelation of himself how these things can be put back and be put back to rights. And that's why the scripture is so important, because it is God's word to us in written form. God created the world by speaking. And additionally, after we as mankind fell into sin, God spoke and revealed to us a new promise of grace and of forgiveness that our sins which have separated us from God and, and put us under his wrath, our sins can be blotted away, forgiven, erased. And once again, God has promised that he will send a mediator, someone to go and to fetch us and to bring us back to himself. That's the promise of the gospel, the promise of Jesus Christ, the truth about the cross. And so we we come and we want to know the scriptures because it is only through the scriptures, only through the Bible, only through this special revelation that God has given to us of himself that we can come to know God as our Father and as our Savior, as our Redeemer, and as the indwelling Holy Spirit who indwells us now through faith in Jesus Christ. So we have to ask ourselves, do I have the word of God abiding in me? Um, Because it's only through that and only in, in trusting and believing that word that I will know God savingly as my Savior and be rescued from his wrath. But secondly, as he as Paul writes here to Timothy, not only do we want to read the Bible, and not only do we want to, to become acquainted with the sacred writings, as Timothy was, so that we can know God through faith in Jesus Christ, but we also, as we now know him by faith in Jesus Christ, as we have been saved, we now want to grow. We want to be complete in Christ. Paul writes this again in 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning at verse 16. He says this, all scripture, notice that by the way, all scripture, not simply some parts of it, but every single portion of God's holy word is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete equipped for every good work. The scriptures are what God uses. God is, uh, we're coming into contact with God, and God is telling us, speaking to us. When you open up the Bible, God is talking to you. This is the mouth of God. And, and that's a powerful thought. And whenever God is speaking to us in the scriptures, he is telling us, um, guiding us, instructing us, it says that he um, is, is teaching us, instructing us in his ways. He's reproving us. He corrects us. 
God our Father is disciplining us as his children. If we, if we aren't being reproved or corrected, then we have to ask ourselves, am I one of God's children? Because remember, as we learn in Hebrews and learn in the whole Bible, really, those whom God loves, he disciplines, he chastises, he corrects. Earthly fathers are called upon to train their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Well, our Heavenly Father, likewise, trains up His children in the nurture and admonition of Himself and calls us to, to, to turn away from our sins and to come into His marvelous light, to open our eyes to His grace, to open our eyes to not simply the sins that we commit every day, but our sinful condition from which we cannot save ourselves, and then to see the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That is what God is wanting us to do every day, and he's using the scriptures to train us in righteousness so that now we can be zealous for good works to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Psalm 119, 105, of course, says this, these famous words, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God's word is, is that which helps us and guides us in this world, this present dark age. It's so important. Why should you read the Bible? Well, because the world outside and inside of you, honestly, we are darkness as well until the Lord shines his light upon us. We are in darkness and we are darkness until he comes and sends the light of the world through the word of God into our hearts and the day spring rises on high in our hearts and then we're able to walk and not stumble to walk in this light and in this life again Psalm 119 130 the unfolding of your words gives light it imparts understanding to the simple we want to grow up and mature and become discerning and wise and understanding in Jesus Christ. We do not want to be led astray by every wind of doctrine. We want to grow up in him. We want to love our neighbors better. We want to take care of our families better. We want to work at our jobs and in our vocations better to his glory. We want to see all of the implications of the cross of Jesus Christ in our lives here and now and then Ultimately, in the next world, we want to die well, live well, and die well, and look to the next world well. And the only way that we can do that is if we are rooted and grounded in the faith as it is revealed in the written word of God. So the Bible is not a dead book for us. It is the living word of the living God and, and it reveals to us preeminently his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So we should want to read the Bible and, and view it as a means, as a way whereby God grows us, changes us, for, reveals to us his forgiveness that he's accomplished at the cross, reveals to us his son, all of the wonderful blessings and treasures and riches that are found in Jesus Christ are revealed to us in the written word of God. 
So that's why we want to read the Bible. That's why we should want to, you know, uh, read the New Testament this year. That's why we should always want to read the Bible what, according to how, what our best abilities to do what we can and to come to church. That's why coming to church is so important. You're only hurting yourself if you're not coming to hear the word about what God has done in Jesus Christ. We should want to read the Bible to know God and then to be complete in Christ. So, as we now turn our attention to, from that, from why should we read the Bible, and as we now think about reading through the New Testament in this this upcoming year, I, I thought it might be helpful to simply then think about, well, what in the world is the New Testament? Um, you know, I've heard it said before about, I don't know if it was Vince Lombardi or who it was, um, that decided to really simplify things for his football team. And the way he simplified things was by by, by simply uh, saying, gentlemen, this is a football. And I think perhaps also it's important every once in a while for all of us as Christians uh, to simply take a step back and go back to the basics and remind ourselves, uh, you and me, to remind ourselves of the basics. And first of all, we should say, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Bible, the Holy Bible. It's a book composed over the course of thousands of years, written by holy men who were inspired by the Holy Spirit before the coming of Christ and after the coming of Christ. The the Bible is God's word in written form to us. God no longer rips open the heavens directly and reveals himself directly from heaven to us in those ways. He has spoken once and for all now finally through his son and committed it to writing for the better preservation and the memory and the uh, and our ability to learn it and to read it and to understand it better. Um, it's a powerful thing and a wonderful thing that God has given his revelation to us in written form, in the form of a book, in the forms of letters and sentences and, and, and punctuation marks. It's a wonderful thing because it can be preserved better and we can all look at the same text and be and, and hold each other accountable uh, for pointing out and saying, no, this is what God's word says. This is what the text says. This is what he has told us to do or not to do. This is who he says Jesus is. This is not who he says Jesus is. So it's a wonderful truth, actually, that we have God's word to us in written form, in a book, in the Holy Bible. And of course, you know this, the Bible is divided up into two basic portions, the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament, of course, uh, talks about from the beginning of the world, gives a, 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 a narrative and a description of the creation of the world all the way, and, and of course, leads us up to the period before Christ's first coming 2,000 years ago. And then, of course, the second part of the New Testament is, or the second part of the Bible, excuse me, is called, of course, the New Testament. Um, and it, it talks about and opens up with us to us, describing to us who this person, this Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Mary, who was married to a man named Joseph, telling us who this man was, how he came into the world, um, his background somewhat, 
and then especially emphasizing to his his life, his ministry, and then how he suffered and died and rose again from the grave, ascended into heaven, and now presently sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty and will one day come again to judge the world and raise the dead. That is the truth of the New Testament. We, we call these writings the New Testament. When we open the New Testament, it's called that, of course, uh, because that's kind of from the, the Latin terms uh, that are for New Covenant, the New Testament, the New Covenant. And the idea was is that the Old Covenant was found in the books preceding Christ. The New Covenant is now found in Christ. Jesus himself had said at the Last Supper, the, or the Last Passover, which was the, the also the place for the first Lord's Supper uh, celebration that Jesus inaugurated there in the latter part of the Gospels, Jesus says, this is the blood of the covenant, the blood of the new covenant. Jesus understood himself to be inaugurating, bringing in, uh, kicking off the new covenant period of redemptive history in himself and in his person and in his work. Paul likewise would call the writings before the coming of Christ the Old Covenant, 2 Corinthians 3.14. And so eventually Christians began to call all of these collection of writings that we called the New Testament, they called these things the New Testament, the New Covenant, the things that reveal to us what the New Covenant fully is in all of its details and glory and grandeur. Now, whenever we open up the New, the New Testament uh, writings, we see that it's made up of 27 different books or writings, uh, separate uh, works that are written uh, by various authors uh, over the course of, uh, of not actually quite a long period of time, uh, a few decades really over the course. It was all completed by uh, 100 A.D., at the you know um, probably in the 90s AD is the last of these books being uh, wrapped up and finished um, in in its written form, and these writings there's 27 of them, and they're coming from people who were apostles, those people who were the uh, specially selected messengers of Jesus Christ to uh, authoritatively proclaim his gospel to the ends of the earth, or there are people who were closely associated with those apostles. For instance, like Luke. Luke was a companion of the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul, of course, wrote many letters that are found in the New Testament. You'll also notice a really basic uh, group of books at the very beginning of the New Testament called Gospels. These are four Gospels, which are four written accounts Four true witnesses to the one gospel message of Jesus Christ. Perhaps it's it's good to that we follow the heading, for instance, in the Bible that I have, an ESV Bible. It says the gospel according to Matthew. It's not really the gospel of Matthew, because the gospel is all about Jesus Christ. It's not about Matthew or Mark or John or Luke. And it's also not... Um, not not like a, a contradictory account. Each of the Gospels, the four different Gospels, are four complementary accounts of the one thing that happened 2,000 years ago in Israel. And concerning this man, Jesus of Nazareth, who died on a cross, was suffered under Pontius Pilate, and each of these Gospel accounts claim that this man... Jesus of Nazareth, who claimed to be God in the human flesh, rose again from the dead on the third day. 
and is presently living alive and well at the right hand of the Father. These four Gospels emphasize the life and the works and the words of Jesus Christ. Uh, The author of the Gospel, according to Luke, Luke himself says that he is writing an orderly account of what has been accomplished. So when we read the Gospels, we're reading a history, an account, a reporting to us of the life, words, times, and actions of Jesus Christ. The other writings, and and I guess in a sense we also have uh, the book of Acts, which is kind of the second part to Luke's gospel. And, and whereas Luke's gospel is emphasizing to, to us Jesus' life and acts and words on earth, Acts is the second half of a two-part work, and it's now telling us Jesus' acts, not on earth anymore, but from heaven. He is ruling and reigning from heaven. And and so in a sense, they complement each other. And Acts is kind of in a unique position there as a piece of history, um, not strictly about Jesus's life and ministry, but showing us how the Jesus who was on earth rose again, went to heaven and continued ministry, but in a new and majestic and wonderful way through the Pentecost power that is given to the church pouring out the Holy Spirit and taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. Then we have all of these epistles, all these different letters that were written by apostles or perhaps others. So, you know, For instance, the book of Hebrews is somewhat contested, and the book of James was not written by an apostle. Um, it was written by uh, James, the brother of Jesus. Um, uh, and, and so whenever we read these things, we, we're reading things uh, by, by uh, people who are apostles or people who are closely associated with the apostles who are writing letters to early Christian communities or to early Christians, uh, instructing them in the way they should live in light of the gospel. There's a little interesting little bit of a nuance here, and I'm kind of stealing this basic division from a guy named, uh, I think his name is Donald Robinson, um, was, a, was a, a church leader in Australia from the past, and he made a basic distinction and talked about how there was gospel and apostle. There's the gospels, the four gospels, and then we also have the apostolic letters and the writings. And this is somewhat of a helpful distinction, I think, because the Gospels tell us the life and the times and the works of Jesus Christ. But then the apostles are telling us, this is what all of this means for you. The apostles are saying, not necessarily, the apostle, excuse me, the, the epistles, the letters the apostles wrote, like Romans and Galatians and Philippians and First and Second and Third John, they're not necessarily describing to you the full life of Jesus They mention certain things Jesus did. They're emphasizing to you, this is why what he did is so significant. He did it to lay down his life as an atonement for our sins. See, whenever he died on that cross, as is recorded here in this gospel, they're saying, look, this is why it's so important. We have been accepted by God. We have been forgiven of our sins. We ought now to to live a life of holiness because we've been sanctified and set apart by God, by the blood of Christ, and we will persevere to the end. And here's how we should now live in light of that. We should love each other. We should love our families. We should love unbelievers. We uh, We should live lives of holiness in this present dark age. That's kind of what they're doing. They're trying to show us all the implications and what it means for us. And, and of course, you'll know that those are things that are emphasis, not necessarily like um, that Jesus himself or the Gospels never do that. 
but it's one of emphasis. Um, so the, the, the New Testament complements itself and, 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 and really is helping us to see not simply what Jesus did, but why it matters and why it's significant and then how we should live in light of that. So, so that's kind of a basic idea. And, and obviously there's much more we could say about the New Testament there. But I now lastly, before we uh, wrap up, I want to uh, wrap up with uh, four basic words to help describe and as we think about the New Testament. And as we're reading through the New Testament scriptures, I want us to to think about these four basic words. And I think they're a good way to kind of describe the New Testament, kind of uh, things to hang our thoughts on. Uh, first of all, the word fulfillment. Fulfillment. The New Testament is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. The New Testament is the fulfillment, the completion, the finishing, the end of the Old Testament. This is a very important point because the God of the Old Testament is the same God of the New Testament. The promises of the Old Testament are fulfilled in the New Testament. Sometimes when we read the Bible, it can be tempting uh, to think that the New Testament stands in stark contrast to the Old Testament, as if the Old Testament God was a mean, harsh God who was unforgiving and very legalistic, and the new God of the New Testament is one of love and kindness and uh, generosity and warmth. That contrast, that stark contrast, is not correct, and historic Christianity has understood that the Bible, Old and New Testaments, are really one book telling us about one God, all of it proclaiming to us Jesus Christ, proclaiming one way of salvation for all time, for all men, whether they be before the coming of Christ or after the coming of Christ. The God and the Father of Jesus Christ is the God of the Old Testament. Jesus Christ was the God of the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit is the God of the Old Testament. The threefold personhood of God, God in three persons, is the same God in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Jesus himself said that the Old Testament scriptures bear witness about him, John 5, 39. He also said that Moses wrote about him, John 5, 46. Uh, in John 8:56, Jesus claimed that Abraham was joyfully looking forward to the coming of Christ. Additionally, Jesus claimed that Moses and the prophets taught about him in Luke 24:27. Consistently, Jesus, rather than saying that he was starting something brand new, was actually saying that his religion was the religion of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Moses that he was the fulfillment and the continuation and the final embodiment of all the hopes and fears of all the years of the Old Testament scriptures. The New Testament shows us how the Old is completed in Christ. The Old Testament promises Christ to come. The New Testament proclaims that Christ has come. Now, there is truth in the fact that there are differences between the Old and the New Testament. There are differences and we don't want to overlook those differences. But the the underlying, there is an underlying unity, and, and it is a difference within unity. 
It's, it's not two different ways of salvation, two different messages, or two different peoples of God, or two different gods. It's one God, one Christ, one people, but there has been some different nuances, some different ways in which that has been revealed. You know, in the past, they had sacrifices. They killed lambs. They had a t- literal temple. Israel lived in a literal geopolitical nation. In the New Testament, we do not have that anymore. The church is an international community, an international eternal community in Jesus Christ. We no longer have a physical building that is a temple. Jesus Christ is our temple, and all of us in him are part of that temple. We no longer have physical animal sacrifices in the Old Testament. We have the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. In the Old Testament, they had priests, a a whole bunch of them, the Aaronic priesthood. We have one who is in the line of Melchizedek, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, all of those things in the Old Testament were teaching the people of God about Jesus Christ before he had come in the flesh. And also, we're told that Jesus Christ was was present in a pre-incarnate way with the Israelites. We read in Jude that Jesus is the one who led a people out of Egypt. Jesus is active and present with Abraham. He wrestled with Jacob. Um, He is uh, present all over the place in the Old Testament. He's prophesied by Isaiah. He's the son of David. And so there is this substantial unity. We don't want to deny the diversity that exists. There are differences between the Old and the New Testament, but they are not as if um, they're two different religions. The Old Testament points forward to the new, and the new fulfills the old. So fulfillment. Second of all, the word gospel. Gospel. When we read the New Testament, it's important that we remember that at the center of the New Testament is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel. Gospel is a word that, that refers to good news or good tidings. It's an announcement of what has happened. It's a declaration, a proclamation, a pronouncement. Now, this is very important because uh, notice gospel is not first and foremost a command. It is not an imperative. It is not telling us something to do. That falls under the category of law. Now, there is a place for the law, and the law is good and holy and righteous. And and we are to appreciate and love and revere the law because it is an expression of God's eternal, holy, good, just, and wise character. But the law could never save us. The law can command us what is right. The problem is, is we are sinners. Under, we have hearts that are hard as stone that cannot uh, do anything good for our own salvation or, and cannot obey God's law. God himself must do something for us. The law commands, but the gospel promises us. And at the center of this, this gospel in the New Testament is the truth about what God has done in Jesus Christ. Martin Luther says this, For gospel, euangelion, is a Greek word and means in Greek a good message, good tidings, good news, a good report, which one sings and tells with gladness. 
Luther will give the example of when David killed Goliath. You know that story well. Um, The people of Israel are scared to death because the Philistines have put forth their champion, the giant Goliath. Who can defeat Goliath? Well, of course, there is this shepherd boy, David, the future king of Israel. And he steps forth and with God's power and help, slays the giant. And his defeat of the giant doesn't mean simply victory for himself. He is the champion for all Israel. When he defeats the giant, Israel wins. If he was to lose, Israel loses. This is a gospel. This is the the announcement of the good news. So you can imagine what it was like whenever you're one of the Israelites standing there and you see David fighting Goliath and and David defeats Goliath. Or, Or perhaps, better yet, maybe you're one of the people back in the villages who know the people of God are fighting and you know of, you've heard about this guy, Goliath, and you're waiting at home wondering, what's the news like from the battlefield? And someone comes and tells you, David, this shepherd boy, beat Goliath. We've defeated the Philistines. It's, it's the, we've, we've accomplished a victory. Well, you could see why that would be wonderful news for you and why you would be glad and joyful and rejoicing at that message. The, the only way that you wouldn't rejoice or be glad about it is if you didn't believe the messenger and you didn't believe that what he said was true. But if you thought it was true and you understood what this means for yourself now, you would rejoice and be happy. Another example for us today would be perhaps, you know, you think about um, some of those images after the victory of World War II when the Allies won and defeated Nazi Germany and had had defeated Japan. And the Allies win, and you see pictures of people in the streets after the victory has been announced and after we've defeated the enemies and the war is over. The Allies have won. You could imagine what that meant like. What that meant for the people in the streets is they're celebrating, laughing, smiling, so excited about the, the, the good news, about the victory that has been accomplished. Notice they didn't do any of the, some of those people in the pictures didn't do any of the fighting, but they received the victory and the benefits of the victory nonetheless. Similarly, that's what the gospel is for us. It is the proclamation of the victory over sin, death, hell, and the devil for us that Jesus Christ has accomplished 2,000 years ago. Paul himself would summarize this gospel up in 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. The gospel is so precious, friends. It is so wonderful because it is not a new set of laws for us to do. Again, the law is good, righteous, and holy, and we want to obey God's law as best we can. But the law is unable to save us because of our hearts of stone, apart from God's grace, coming to us, forgiving us of our sins, and giving us hearts of flesh to now begin to walk in his light. The gospel is not a command that we should do. The gospel is a promise based on what Jesus has done. 
The gospel does not condemn sinners. It declares to you and me that God justifies sinners in Jesus Christ. So, as we think about what the New Testament is, there's an especial focus not only on the fulfillment of all the Old Testament promises, there's now a emphasis in the New Testament scriptures that we are going to begin reading upon gospel. And as you read the Bible, don't lose sight of the gospel. Don't let yourself get uh, led astray and or, or you know go down different rabbit trails. Now, there's, there's different nuances to the scriptures, no doubt, but we don't want to lose the forest for the trees. Remember the gospel, the announcement of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. The third word, of course, is now faith. Fulfillment, gospel, faith. The New Testament summons us to faith in the Son of God. Faith is the fruit of the gospel. God comes to us, fulfills the Old Testament promises, proclaims what he has done to us in his gospel, and then in light of that, we believe it. We rejoice. We're glad. Not because we have atoned for our sins, not because we have done anything, but because God has atoned for our sins for us. God has done it all for us and calls us to place our confidence in him now, our trust in him, to trust in him, to place all of our hope, all of our chips on him, and to now live a life of grateful obedience because we're so thankful for what he's done for us. The New Testament summons us to faith in the Son of God. And so we would be amiss if we read the Gospels and we read the epistles, if we read the New Testament and we missed the Gospel and then we missed on this summons of the whole New Testament to faith in Jesus Christ. John 20, verses 30 through 31. This is at the tail end of John's gospel. And he writes this. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Notice that focus there. I wrote these things so that you may believe. Place your confidence in Jesus Christ and have life in his name. Additionally, Paul emphasizes the folk, Paul, Paul of all the writers, really, probably of all the scriptures, focuses upon faith. He says this in Romans 1, 16 through 17. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith, for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. William Tyndale, that man who uh, in the past, uh, uh, hundreds of years ago, uh, translated much of the Bible from its original languages into English for us, he describes faith as this. He says, faith is then a lively and a steadfast trust in the favor of God. A lively and a steadfast trust in in the favor of God, wherewith we commit ourselves altogether unto God. You see, the New Testament is calling us to rest upon Jesus Christ, to be assured in God's mercy, his grace towards us, to come to him to be made clean, to be forgiven, to be made new creatures, calling us away from our sins to see our desperate situation and the fact that we are under God's wrath 
except we place our confidence and entrust ourselves to our faithful creator who has given to us his son, Jesus Christ. Faith is emphasized all throughout the New Testament. Paul will talk often, and these are all from the Pauline epistles, about what faith does. We, we read that the righteous live by faith. We read in Romans 3.28 that we are justified by faith. In Romans 5.2, we have access by faith into the grace wherein we stand. Romans 11.20, we stand we stand, I believe it should say fast. My, my text writing here is wrong, but I think it says stand fast through faith. 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we walk by faith, not by sight. In Galatians 3, 14, we receive the promised spirit through faith. In Galatians 5, 6, faith works through love. So faith is the, the core and primary response that we are called to have to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Faith, confidence, resting, believing upon God in Jesus Christ. The New Testament, just like the Old Testament, is calling all of us to look to God as our Savior, to place our trust and to rest our whole selves in his hands and what he has already done and what he promises to do at his second coming. So we have fulfillment, we have gospel, we have faith, And all of these things, lastly, as we wrap up now, are summarized in Christ. Christ is the sum and the substance of the New Testament. As we read the New Testament together this coming year, let's not forget at the center is a person, the person of the Son of God, Jesus Christ our Lord, who is very God and very man, who took to himself the form of a servant and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So that at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He is the center and the sum and the substance of Jesus Christ. I don't know if it was Spurgeon or someone else who said this, but just as in Rome, all roads lead to Rome, well, similarly, every verse ultimately in the whole Bible, really, but especially in the New Testament, all verses and all passages, all chapters lead to Christ. The New Testament is centered upon him. We don't want to get off course as we read through the New Testament. We can sometimes focus on disputed passages here or there. For instance, the book of Revelation, maybe somewhat notoriously, is known for this. Um, We can look at the Revelation, the last book um, that John the Apostle is writing there, and and when we read it, we can get so lost in all of the symbolism and, and all of the all of the the imagery there in that book and dispute about what this or that means. But it can be so easily to for, to to forget that it is a revelation of Jesus Christ. We don't want to forget Jesus in all that we read in the New Testament. Don't take our eyes off of Him. The New Testament proclaims to all of us, as John one twenty nine says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The scriptures are inspired by God the Holy Spirit, and that same Holy Spirit is the one that Jesus said in John 16.14, will glorify me, talking about himself, for he, the Holy Spirit, will take what is mine and declare it to you. Jesus says the Holy Spirit who inspired sacred scripture is there to glorify the Son of God. 
That is the purpose. That is what the Holy Spirit delights to do. The Father delights in the Son, and the Holy Spirit delights to glorify the Son of God as well. And so when we read the New Testament together, let's not take our eyes off of the person of Jesus Christ, God manifest in the flesh. Because really, ultimately, it is Jesus himself who is speaking to us in all the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. He is the God-man who tells us how he has fulfilled all the hopes and fears and the promises of the Old Testament. In the pages of the New Testament, the God-man, Jesus Christ our Lord, shows us his hands inside, just like he did to Thomas, only we see it by faith. He saw it by sight, and Jesus said, it is more blessed that we believe these things without seeing, that we have our confidence in him in the the historical reality and in the factual reality that he has resurrected and has ascended to the right hand of God the Father. He shows us who he is and what he has done. And he calls each of us, you and me and everyone who hears his message, everyone who reads this Bible, he is calling us right now. And every time you open this book, away from our sin, away from our selfishness, away from our lack of love to other people, away from our lack of love to him, away from everything else in this world that would draw our, de- our attention and our devotion away from God. He, he, is, he is calling us away from our sin, all of our unbelief, and calling us to himself, that in him we might have life and have it abundantly. He calls us and summons us, invites us, urges us and gives himself to us so that we might receive him as the great and precious gift that he is and trust in him alone and be forgiven of all of all of our sins. So as we read the New Testament in this coming year, uh, let's not forget Jesus. Let's not forget the gospel of grace. Let's not forget the cross. Let's not forget the resurrection. Let's not forget the atonement and what it means for us. Let's not forget faith and that faith that is resting and looking to Jesus Christ, but also faith that now works through love and is zealous for good works. And let us not forget the fulfillment that all of the Old Testament promises are fulfilled in the New Testament, highlighting to us the faithfulness of our God. I hope that you'll read the New Testament with us this year. I hope that it's a blessing to you, and I hope uh, to hear from you. I hope that as you as you read it, as a maybe you could do this as a family or uh, as a, as a married couple or with friends or with other people in the church um, or or just by yourself. Whatever that is, I hope as you read the New Testament with us as part of our MMBC Church family, and as we do this together, I hope that as we do this, we will better see Jesus Christ that we will better hope in him, live holier lives before him, uh, have a greater desire to reach the lost, and love his gospel more so than we did before. I hope that it will enrich our, our gatherings on Sunday morning, and I hope that it will strengthen your family relationships and the relationships you have with coworkers and your neighbors and your friends. That's our hope. That's, that's what we do. We read the Bible because we're coming into contact with our good and gracious God. Take care, and God bless.